Thank you for listening to the Giving Light Podcast. We are a family church and world outreach center. Our heart is to empower you to walk in true freedom and equip you to impact your world. Please visit our website at givinglight.org to learn more about us and our many resources, including original music by Brave Music, e-courses for leaders, tools for raising powerful kids, and more. If you would like to support Giving Light financially, visit our Give Online page to choose the best giving method for you. Thanks again for joining us and enjoy this message. Today I want to talk about desire. God calls it good. And the truth is, desire is something that's been given to us by God. And I think it's one of the things that a lot of the church is afraid to talk about. And I feel like it's a powerful weapon and a powerful tool that if we don't use it, uh, it's, it's not going to do what it's intended to do. And one of the things that, that desire is intended to do is to be used for freedom and liberty. And so today I have a couple questions for you. They're rhetorical. So that means that you, don't, you answer them in your mind. And my goal for these questions is to cause you to think about the role that desire plays in your life. So the first question that I have for you is, do my desires master me or do I master my desires? Do I control my desires or do they control me? The next thing I want to ask you is, can I trust my desires? Can I trust them? Do you feel like you always have to control your desires because you just don't know where they're going to lead you? They might lead you to some bad places. And you may be thinking, well, there's a war of good desires in me, and then there's a war of evil desires in me. Have you ever seen that cartoon where there's the the devil on one side and the angel on one side, and they're battling it out? And maybe you feel like you can't trust your desires. Maybe some of you are afraid to desire. Are you afraid to desire? Have you ever had so many disappointments, so many failures, so many failed ventures and dreams that you're just like, I'm just going to keep it safe. Just not going to desire anymore. I'm just going to put my nose to the grind and just plow ahead and not even think about my desires. Can my desires mature and change? Do your desires look like they were 15 years ago? I think they can change. Aren't you glad that you don't have the same desires as that young 13-year-old boy? Yeah, me too. You know, do my desires have consistency? How many of you have plenty of desires, but There's no strength behind them. You hop from one thing to the next. Oh, that's so awesome. Let's do it. And then there's no follow through. Have you ever lost desire? You're just in survival mode. Just trying to get this thing. All you're worried about is getting those needs met. And uh, you just kind of lost all desire. I'm sure all of us have kind of been in those places before. So I want to define desire so that we're all on the same page. There are 27 Hebrew words that are translated desire in the Old Testament. Their meanings are to yearn for, to long after, to seek, to delight in, 
to have pleasure. They also have negative connotations to covet, to lust after, greed, rebellious will. And these words are generally associated with human wants, emotions, cravings, sexual longings, as well as desire for God. Now, in the New Testament, they're pretty similar, which are your will, wants, pleasure, enjoyment, to strive for, to long after, and also the negative connotation is to lust or to have jealousy. You know, that's all good and well, but sometimes, have you ever had a kid just explain something and it just made so much sense? And so I went to the kid's dictionary, and the kid's dictionary says desire is the feeling of wanting something. So I wanted to define desire because it reveals an important truth, and that important truth is desire is our internal motivator. It's what moves us into action. Think of it as a fuel that empowers your actions. Now, desire is an, in an, is an innate ability, meaning it's part of our DNA. It's an essential part of our existence. It's a function of human desire. When God created mankind, he instilled within his creation the, the, the ability to desire and to be motivated by it. Let's look at Genesis 1.26. Can we all read it together? Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. So that innate ability to desire is found in, that is found in all human beings comes from the very nature of God. How many of you know that God is full of desire? That he's full of passion and zeal, and yet he needs nothing. Think about that. God is full of passion. He's full of desire. He's full of zeal, and yet he needs nothing. So this tells us that desire is not dependent upon need, okay? Desire can relate to a need, but it's also separate from it. What's important is that we have desire because it is part of God's nature and a part of his, his image that he gave to us. So let me give you a simple definition for desire, or this is how desire works. Say with me, to see, to want, to pursue. And if you look at John 3.16, what does it say? What's John 3.16? For God so loved the world that he gave. Okay. You, you can finish it out if you want. But so what was it? He saw. He saw the state of the world, right? He saw that there was separation. He saw that there was a broken relationship. And then what did he do? And then what does it say? For God so loved, so he loved. He desired reconciliation. And then once we see that he loved, what did he do? He gave or he pursued reconciliation. And we are made in his image and likeness. And we are to see, to want, to long for, to, to desire, but also to pursue. So it's important to understand the order of how desire works. So yes, desire is our internal motivator. It's what moves us into action. But ultimately, desire is what fuels our perception or what we see. So if you looked at perception and you, you saw it as a car, desire would be the fuel that you would put in it. Okay? So what we see is a car. Imagine with me. But desire is what fuels the car to what? To go, 
to move places, right? And so desire fuels our perception of ourselves, okay? So how we see ourselves is how our desire is gonna move us into action. Can you see why this can be a little twisted if we believe lies about ourselves? Because if you see yourself as worthless, what are your desires gonna fuel? Your perception of yourself. Are you guys seeing this? And it also fuels our perception of others. You look at someone uh, cross-eyed, what's it gonna do? It's gonna fuel you to action by what you see or believe. And even God. Let's look at Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good, how did it start out? When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable, you see how this is? She saw it, then she wanted it. She longed for it, okay? Then what does it finishes out? It finishes out, desirable for wisdom. So she took some and ate it. Do you see how, do you see how desire works? I see something, I perceive it in a certain way, then desire fuels what I see, and then it moves me into action. And I always like to add this part because it's great. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. So this verse confirms that the ability to desire was firmly rooted in Eve before the fall. So it's innate. It's a part of her DNA. So Adam and Eve were accustomed to seeing, to desiring, and pursuing. Remember, desire is our internal motivator. It's the fuel to our perception. So that was in them before the fall. So this God-given ability is purposeful as well as powerful. But, this, but at this point in history, what were the boundaries of desire? Everything but don't eat of the tree. Thanks. Right? But now there's more boundaries. But at that point, all it was is don't eat of this tree. But like I said, that desire is purposeful and it's powerful. It has a reason, and it has power to actually bring us into freedom. Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when the desire comes, it is a tree of life. Are you guys seeing this? So what is a tree of life? Desire fulfilled. Can you see why it's so important in our Christian walk? Desire fulfilled is a tree of life. So part of the purpose of desire is that when it is fulfilled, it produces or it is a harvest of life. Genesis 1.31. Then God saw everything that he made, and indeed it was very good. Say it was very good. 
So that innate ability, the function to desire was called good from the very beginning. Are you guys seeing this? See, a lot of the church says desire, very bad, very bad. Be careful of those desires, right? Because they'll lead you to bad places. But desire was from the beginning and God called it good. So can you see why this is powerful? And we'll get into it a little bit more, but I want to lay the foundation for it. So from the beginning, God calls desire good, period. Now asking all these questions kind of makes sense, right? Because if we're afraid of desires, we don't call it good. Or if we are so disappointed that we just forget desire, we don't call desire good. We actually despise desire. Come on. So desire was imparted to us for a purpose so that we could be powerful and free. What is desire? It is to see, to want, to pursue. Think about this. What is the essence of freedom? To see, to perceive something, to long for it, and to go after it. But that's a great weight, right? What is the great weight of freedom? You know, what's that phrase about heavy is the crown of the king or something like that? Right? What, what, is the, what is the weight of freedom? Well, the weight of freedom is you can have whatever you want. Right? So the opposite is true. So if desire is there to bring us into freedom... When we use our desire for evil, it will bind us and render us powerless. So the purpose of desire is to bring us into freedom and into liberty. But if we use desire for evil, it will actually bind us and render us powerless. One of the things when I was studying out desire, it seemed that most people believe that there was good desires as well as evil desires, two separate entities, right? There was the good angel and the devil on the side, and they're whispering in the ear, right? And so they concluded that there's good desires and there's bad desires. So I don't actually believe that. I don't believe that there's two entities of desire. I believe that there's desire and God calls it good. Okay? And I'll get into it then if you're getting nervous. So why, why are there scriptures that speak of both evil and good desires? Because desire will mirror our perception. I'm going to say this again. Our desire will mirror or it will reflect what we see. Are you guys following me? So in those passages, you will also see that the author, author then challenged their perception. What did he do when he talked about evil desires? He challenged their way of thinking. Because desires reflect what we see. Or they are a mirror of what we see. What was Eve's issue? She saw, she perceived that it was good and desirable, and then what did she do? 
She ate of it. So did Adam and Eve have an evil desire before sin entered the world? That's an interesting question. Because did she not desire to eat of the fruit before the fall happened? Right? So they had the desire before they ate of it. So when Adam and Eve chose to eat the fruit of the tree, it was a perversion of a gift. Like I, our, our, It's really important to understand this, that desire is a gift from God. It's actually a part of his nature, okay? So what, why does it get into evil desires? Because it's a perversion of a gift. Why did Eve go after, or why did she perceive it in that way? You guys remember? She believed a lie first. Oh, God's holding back something from you. He's not giving you the very best. And from the lie, what happened? She perceived the fruit to be good. Does this make sense? So the lie affected how she saw, which fueled what is desire. It's the fuel for our perception. Remember, if perception was a car, our desire would be the fuel to get us to move into action. But Eve, she believed a lie, and that affected how she saw was fueled action. Are you guys seeing this? So desire will mirror your perception. Therefore, the moral outcome of desire is a reflection of what I believe to be true. So you, you don't have good and evil desires battling it out on the inside of you. You have a gift of desire, and God calls it good. Why does God call desire good? Because desire is the forerunner of freedom. What is desire? It is the fuel that moves us into action. What were we singing today? You are good, good. Are you guys getting this? So our perception of God will then, our desires will reflect what we believe and what we see. Are you guys following me? So once perception is changed, then desire can be the catalyst or the fuel for transformation. You know, you will be stuck in the same cycle until you change how you think about your situation or yourself or the other person or whatever it may be. So since desire can be traced back to the nature of God and his heart, and from the beginning he placed it as a key component in the heart of mankind, remember, in the beginning God said it was good, and we know that they had the gift of desire from the very beginning. We must then recognize that desire is a powerful gift from God that requires cultivation, understanding, and stewardship, as well as accountability. And what is accountability? 
will you, can you give an account for the ability that you have? Are we equipped to harness the power of desire? Remember, God calls it good. So why would I want to stifle something that God calls good? Calls good? Now, obviously, we need to cultivate it, and we need to understand it, and we need to harness it. So having desire and having our desire fulfilled should be a part of the normal Christian life. Much of the church has created strategies that suppress desire rather than empowering the believer to activate and steward it. If we're going to be a free people, a powerful people, we must be able to harness the power of desire, not suppress it. Why is that? Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, but when desire comes, it is a tree of life. Are you guys seeing this? When desire is fulfilled, the true purpose of desire, when it is fulfilled and when it is good, it produces life. If we don't learn to steward this powerful gift, we will be waiting around for God to do something he's called us to do. I'm going to say that again. If we don't learn to steward this powerful gift, we will be waiting around for God to do something he's called us to do. So what I want to do is give you some ways that we can steward desire. The first one and I would say the most important step is steward, to stewarding the gift of desire is to have proper perspective. Now, this one's a large portion of Scripture, so I'm just going to read it. 2 Corinthians 5, 16 through 18. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. Are you guys following this? I just want you to hear the scripture. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective. Why is it so from now on? Because we're in Christ. This is talking to people who are in Christ. So then, from now on, we have a new perspective that refuses to evaluate people merely by their outward appearance. Remember, desire is what fuels our perception about ourselves, about others, and about God. And this verse actually has all three of them in it. For, that, for that's how we once viewed the anointed one, but no longer do we see him with limited, hum, limited human insight. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, if anyone is in Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. So who is this? Whose perspective is this? How we see ourselves. Now, if anyone is enfolded into Christ, he has become an entirely new creation. All that is related to the old order has vanished. Behold, everything is fresh and new. So we can't let, look at the world around us through old eyes. And this verse says you can't look at yourself through old eyes. Are you guys seeing this? Verse 18 and God has made all things new and reconciled us to himself 
and given us the ministry of reconciling others to God. Why can't we look at the world through the old lens? Because our position is to be ministers of reconciliation. Come on. In other words, it was through the anointed one that God was shepherding the world, not even keeping records of their transgressions. And he has entrusted to us the ministry of opening the door of reconciliation to God. Can you see why we must look at the people around us through the eyes of Christ? So we are ambassadors of the anointed one who carry the message of Christ to the world as though God were tenderly pleading with them directly through our lips. So we tenderly plead with you on Christ's behalf. Turn back to God and be reconciled to him. For God made the only one who did not, who did not know sin to become sin for us so that we who did not know righteousness might become the righteousness of God through our union with him. So how are we supposed to look at our relationship to God? Through what? Through Christ. So we look at the world around us through Christ. We look at ourselves through Christ. And we look at our relationship with God the Father through Christ. Because Christ who did not know sin, became sin for us so that we could be the righteousness of God. What is righteousness? In right standing with God. So if you look at God without the lens of Christ, do you see how that's not good? Do you see how that can fuel different desires in the wrong direction? Remember, desire is what fuels our perception to see, to desire, and to pursue after. As believers, we are commanded to view or perceive our world through the lens of Christ. So what, does, what, happens, what happens when we view the world around us, God, or ourselves through the flesh? What happens? Well, let's find out. Romans 13, 14. Instead, fully immerse yourselves into the Lord Jesus. Do you see how we're totally looking unto him, the anointed one? And don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity to awaken its selfish desires. What will awaken selfish desires? What does it say? And don't waste even a moment's thought on your former identity. Do you see this? When we look at ourselves, when we look at others, when we look at God through the old, the things that have passed away, because we're new creations, when we look at it through the old self, what happens? It awakens Selfish desires. Are you guys following me? Remember, your desires will mirror your perception. So we don't have a desire issue. We have a perspective issue. And because of Christ, how we relate to our desires has to completely change. 
So if I, if I say that I'm struggling with these evil desires or these bad or perverted desires, what is that telling me? I'm not looking at myself, at others, and even God through the eyes of Christ, through the lens of Christ. It's easy to think that desires are what control us because they are that internal motivator, they're that internal fuel. But the truth is what we see and how we perceive it is what ultimately moves us. If you hate your neighbor, how is that going to fuel your desires? Come on. And I'm not just, hey, it could be your close neighbor or it could be a neighbor in general. What is that perception going to move us? How will that move us into action? Remember, we are a new creation in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. So to waste even a moment's thought on the former identity would be useless. Why? Because it will awaken those desires. Or it will fuel, right? It will fuel our perception. So my attention has shifted from an old man, actually a dead man, right? To a new creation in Christ. And I know that Things will, they will reproduce after their own kind. So what does that mean? What does a dead man produce? Dead things. What does a new creation in Christ produce? Life. When desire is fulfilled, it is a tree of life. So how we perceive informs our desires, not the, way, not the other way around. So if we put our desires before our perception, it's really putting the cart before the horse. And we know from living in Amish country, that doesn't work, right? I've never seen a cart before a horse going down the street. Oh, my So the challenge for us is to see our world through the lens of Christ. Philippians 3, 12. Not that I have already obtained or am already perfected, but I press on. Press on towards what? So Paul's has one compelling focus to know, to see, and to experience a life through the finished work of Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.14, I press towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in, in what? In Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. But I love how he says, hey, I'm not perfect. I haven't made it, guys. This is Paul, right? I haven't made it. I'm not perfected. But my one goal is to pursue after Christ Jesus. 
Come on. Can you see why it's imperative to see through proper perspectives through Christ? If we want to cultivate and understand and steward our desire. Now, if we can do this, that's the biggest battle of desire. If we can look at ourselves, look at those around us, and look at God through the lens of Christ, through the finished work of Christ of what he's done on the cross and what he's doing in us now, come on, guys. That's like 95% of the battle, <laughs> right? Have you ever wanted to really rip into someone and tell them the gospel <laughs> of yourself? Uh, and what usually happens, you're like, okay, calm down. And then you talk to the Lord, hopefully. And then he starts speaking some things. And then it gives a new compassion because when you look at Jesus' ministry, what moved him? Compassion for the lost. Compassion for those who don't know him. Think about that. Jesus saw the multitude. What happened? He went and healed them. What did he do? In some cases, he got out of the boat and went and touched them. Can you see why desire is such a powerful gift if we have or if we're looking through the lens of Christ? We actually have power. It gives us power to transform the world around us. So desire is a gift from our creator. It's part of his nature, and it's a part of our nature. And he's given us this gift to make us free. See, you see how religion twists it? Desire is there to bind you. And yes, desire can bind you based on how you perceive the world around you. But can you see why desire is so powerful? Because if it's in proper perspective through Christ, it's a tree of life. Come on. And like Paul said, not that I have already attained or I'm already perfected, but I press on. Another way to say it is I keep my eyes on the prize. Let's see who. Yeah, I need to tell the library to stop calling me. They, they like to do that a lot. No, they call me at all, at all times. They love me so much. So can you see why desire is the forerunner of freedom? Because if I perceive God is good, what's going to happen? 
desire will start to develop. It will fuel what I see. This is something that I've heard Bill Johnson say once, and I've said it about a thousand times, so I'm just going to take it as mine now because I've said it so many times. I think there's a rule there. Um, but, see, I, I still gave him credit. But he talked about, in the natural, when you don't eat, what happens? You get hungry. For some, it's hangry, right? You're, you're angry at the world, like, don't talk to me when I haven't eaten kind of thing. I'm not looking at you, Danielle, at all. I'm going to go over here. Uh, hey, that could, that could fix a lot of problems. Say, did you have a banana? Can you just get a banana in you? <laughs> so when we don't eat in the natural, what happens? We become hungry. But in the spirit, it's the opposite. The more you eat, the more hungry you become. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Come on. So if I'm not hungering after spiritual things, what does that tell me? I haven't tasted and I haven't eaten. So this is really important with desire. If I'm not desiring after these things, I need to position myself. I need to surrender myself and say that I want more. I want to taste it. I want to know your goodness. I just don't want to read about it. I want to experience it, you know? You know, a lot of us experience difficult things and discouraging things and disappointing things. But I always find the people that really have perseverance are the people that tasted. Because they're like, yeah, I'm going through hell right now, and it's terrible, and I'm not happy. But I've tasted something. There's the library again. I tell you what, I'm going to have to talk to them. Yeah. It means I need to taste. I need to partake. Come on. And I think it's so important to read the word, but it needs to come alive to you. It's not just about reading it. It's about reading it until something is quickened within you. Something comes alive within you. Because we know if we taste, you know, don't you love that in, at, at Thanksgiving? You're like, do you want some of these um, um, sweet potatoes? You're like, no, I'm not feeling it. And then they get a big scoop. And they're like, hey, if you just try it, you'll want more. I know, that's a bad example because that irritates me. It's like, please don't stick that food in my mouth, you know. But it's kind of true. If you just taste it, if you just experience it, it will actually produce a hunger within you for more. Come on. So desire 
is a gift from God, and he calls it good. Now, I have other ways that we can steward it, but I think that's good enough for today. Thank you, Lena. Let's just bow our heads. Lord, we just come before you, and we thank you that we're made in your image and your likeness. So, Lord, help me to realize this amazing gift of desire that I have on, have on the inside of me. May I use it for good. Lord, help, help change the way I perceive myself. By your spirit, help me change the way I see others. Help me change how I see even you and my relationship with you. Because I know if I can see through your eyes, God, it's going to stir a desire within me to pursue after you and to go after you. Lord, we just thank you and give you praise and honor. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>